0: Hello and welcome to another episode of my podcast. This is Cinema Films, episode six, I do believe. Uh, today I have Chase Tenon with me. Um, Chase is working in the Birmingham area, correct? Oh, that's right. Okay. And um, do you normally work as a as a camera op and cinematographer?
1: Um, On my level, I I bounce around a good bit. So at my day job, I'm a video producer for a national nonprofit here in Birmingham. Um, So it's everything from developing the project to directing it to producing, shooting, editing, um, do a little bit with social media marketing in relation to some of the video projects. So so kind of a, a good... Bit of everything there, um, but outside of that, it's usually just on a like gig by gig basis. Okay. So I was in New York when you actually reached out to me last month, um, doing sound on a feature up there, and then I've got a camop gig on a feature later this year um, that I believe you're also involved with. So it'll be cool to get to work with you. Um, and yeah, just a little bit of everything.
0: Okay. Um. Do you want to tell me a little bit about the nonprofit you work for? Yeah,
1: yeah. So it's, um, anybody who's ever heard of Lakeshore Foundation, um, it's a part of that. So it's in the um, public health disability advocacy space. So the part in particular that I work for um, is a national resource center called the National Center on Health, Physical Activity, and Disability. Um, It's one of two national resource centers funded by the CDC. Uh, We're the smaller of the two, but the other one you might have heard of is called the Special Olympics. Okay. So we do a lot of stuff around um, various topics, a lot of sport and disability, a lot of nutrition stuff, a lot of um, things for research projects that aren't publicly available. But um, through my job there, I've had a lot of opportunity to travel. a few videos in a lot of other places and also, um, get some kind of cool, uh, organizations on my resume. I shot for the CDC and the state department through that job. So that's, that's pretty cool.
0: Cool. So it's, it's mostly dealing with other nonprofits that you're working with or is it all internal for the most part?
1: A mix of both. So we've done, we do a lot of our own stuff, but we also partner, um, one of the projects that I handle is a partnership with an organization, another nonprofit called the uh, called Adaptive Sports USA, which has a kind of part of the athlete pipeline. So they go mm-hmm. on a like a kind of like track and field event every year. So if you're you know a kid with a disability and you want to maybe make it to the Paralympics one day, that's one of the events that you go through on your way to. Tokyo in 2020
0: or wherever 2024 is going to be Okay um, So th- tell me a little bit of how you got started Then with all this you know, what, what, what led to you getting started In video and then how did you end up at the nonprofit That you work at
2: So I,
1: um, I grew up in the 90s So And I grew up in a neighborhood Where it was Mainly just old people so there weren't really there wasn't anybody my age to like go outside and play with, and it wasn't. Um, it was kind of like past the era of that like, come home when the street lights mm-hmm. turn on sort of thing that you hear like older people talk about. So I was just sort of like left to my own devices. My brother is uh, a good bit older than me, so he was kind of off with his own friend. So I watched a lot of TV growing up. And I used to, I remember when we would go to the video store, so this was back when even before really like Blockbuster took over. So there were a lot of mom and pop video stores, and you would go in and go to the horror movie section and see all the cool like 80s VHS artwork and look at all that and, you know, watch those movies, watch Monster Vision with Joe Bob Briggs on Saturday nights. Um, I just really sort of put people who worked in entertainment up on a pedestal, Mm -hmm. you know, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world and just, Something that I wanted to do in the back of my head, you know. At that age, I didn't really have a, didn't wasn't really cognizant of that. Mm-hmm. Well, fast forward to when I am thirteen. So I was thirteen in two thousand three, which was the year that they remade the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I wanted to see that movie forever. You know, you hear about horror movies if you're, you know, into that genre, and I'd seen the box at Blockbuster and other video stores. So I figured, okay, I need to see the original because I'm going to see the remake. Well, I remember I got out of school one day, went to Blockbuster, we rented it, and it's in August, so it's like the same time of the year that the movie actually takes place. Got home, put it in the VCR, watched it, and it just, it was the most effective movie I've ever seen. Especially even, you know, by then you'd seen all the movies that copied it, so you, you know all the beats, you know when something's gonna happen, but it still had an effect. It was just great filmmaking for that genre. And I kind of decided right then and there that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to work in the entertainment industry. Um, but of course, like, you know, I'm from Gadsden and Gadsden is about as far away from working on movies that one can get without, you know, being on Mars. Mm-hmm. So I just no idea how to, how to do that. Well, you know, I started as a still photographer because I had that available to me and um, ended up going to UAB. And UAB at that time, I don't know what's going on there now because one of the professors that I have has since retired, but uh, there was a lady there named June Mack who basically ran their film program. And I took all the production classes and started making short films around that time. And she really taught me how to produce and how to direct. She was a very, um, uh, a very good mentor, but also like not the kind that's gonna let you, you know, make excuses. So mm-hmm. she'll call you when you're not doing something that you should be. So I, I learned a tremendous amount from her, um, and my time there, and made several short films, played in festivals, started working on other people's short films, just you know, volunteering here and there, and. Eventually, that led to you know getting on some features as like a PA here and there and things like that. Because um, my, my career kind of a little divergent. There's the regular job, video job, and then there's the all the stuff that I do on the side when I get a chance. But then um, we can get to that later. But as far as the video job goes, uh, I met a friend of mine uh, who I work with pretty regularly on film projects named Colin Albee. Mm-hmm. Uh and you know, we worked on each other's stuff, and we were at UAB around the same time. Um, Colin got on at Lakeshore before I did, actually, and he worked there for eight or nine months or whatever, and then he went on to become editor at one of the local news affiliates. And he just he put in a good work for me. Yeah, I was, you know, desperately looking for any kind of job in production, and you know, trying to make my resume look a little better than it was. You know, you know how it is. It's kind of hard to find something when you're fresh out of school
0: i mean i've been um, out of school for three years and i still can't find anything despite all the freelance work i've done so i understand yeah it's it's i'm
1: gonna be honestly i've never gotten a job without knowing somebody so it's just getting out there and networking mm-hmm. which sounds it's easy to sit here and say like oh just go network but you know it's a lot harder reality to do that but it took me a long time like, I was interviewing and doing what I thought were good interviews, and then they would end up going with somebody that they had had a previous relationship with, the place that I interviewed at, and, you know, a lot of stuff like that. It was it was getting pretty um, pretty desperate when I'd been on the job search for, like, six months with no bites at all. Mm-hmm. But Colin had recently moved on. He put in a good work with me, a work for me, uh, with the guy who was managing the department at the time. and. I called me in for an interview. Um, I thought I bombed the interview. I just did not have good answers. But, you know, that day I was like, okay, well, I'm not gonna get this job, so I'm gonna send him, you know, he was, that's, I have been mentioned my short films to him, and he's like, oh, well, we'll send them to me. Um, so I sent them, and like, to give you an idea of what the one that I sent was like, um, it's as B-movie as B-movies can get, um, it played a trauma dance, if that gives you any idea. Mm-hmm. So um, it's about a fish man with a shotgun protecting a lake from fishermen. So, it, yeah, it's not, not like the kind of thing that I would put on a reel, you know, usually, but I sent it to him, I and mean, he hired me because of that. Huh. So um, but he wanted somebody who could, um, you know, he was tired of doing, they were doing like a lot of like, he described them as like hyped videos, but it was really like event wrapped videos and stuff like that, and he wanted to do more scripted stuff, so that's how I got the job and you know, it's been there ever since because they're they're pretty flexible, so I'm able to also freelance a good bit on the side and um I like you yeah, know, everybody there's super great it's a it's a great team and get to do a lot of a lot of fun stuff.
0: Okay. So on the narrative side then, you, you worked your way up from being a PA, right? Yes. Okay. Um. What was that like? Because in, in my experience on, on feature work, my, my first job was as a uh, camera assistant on a reality show, of all things.
1: I have done... I've been a camera PA on reality shows. Um, those are certainly can be challenging. Um, the, the culture on those shows can sometimes be a little bit rough. Um, but yeah, it's. And I've got a funny story about one. I was one of the first like paying jobs that I had out of school. It was with a camera PA on a TLC show
2: mm-hmm.
1: about this dude that um, coaches beauty pageants. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's like total TLC kind of thing. I remember I get there like, the first day, right? And I'm wearing an Iron Maiden t-shirt. And I, you know, I'd worked on stuff before, and I'd worked on, like, this... One of the 1st teachers that I'd worked on was this, like, Christian family football uh-huh. movie. And I'd worn that shirt there, and they were, like, cool with it. But, like, on the show, the production coordinator pulled me aside, right? And he's like, um... Hey, I know this is kind of stupid, but you're gonna have to turn the shirt inside out. And it it turned out the showrunner was from California and apparently had never been to Alabama before and had certain biases about what the people here are like. And Mm -hmm. she thought that anybody on the crew wearing an Iron Maiden shirt and anybody that knows what I'm talking about, it was the artwork from Killers, their second album. Okay. Um, She thought that it would completely offend the locals and and (sighs) cause a bunch of problems. So it was like, you know getting called to the principal's office, and I had to work the whole day with my shirt turned inside out. Jeez. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And I'm sorry, before I got off on that rant, I don't even remember what your question was.
0: It was just what what it, what it was like for you to work your way up. You know,
1: yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, initially, you know, I started working on really small and paid stuff. So, like, my first gig on a feature uh, was, well, I did one feature as background and then I kind of got in with those people and I was their boom op on their next one. And, and neither of those projects ever got distribution or really played at any festivals. But um, then I did, again, it was, uh, you know, who you know, um, going back to June from UAB, she would send around a newsletter and it would have, you know, people looking for crew or whatever. And there was uh, a crew call in one of them for this project called Unity oh
2: the what uh, he
1: was doing and I sent her an email, and you know she was like yeah come on out so I started on that and that was a uh, a lady named Whitney Hamilton who is a, an amazing person just super great person to watch her work um and she, you know what she did with that project was amazing but I started as an unpaid PA with like kind of you not really defined just sort of like being the person there when somebody says like hey pick up heavy thing and bring it over here mm-hmm. um, but that project shot over years like they already been going for like a year by the time I started with them okay. so I went from unpaid PA to like an AC and eventually uh, ended up as DIT for that project um, so I got a lot of experience over a long period of time and then just I uh, think I answered another call for a uh, for a PA gig on another thing um, ended up working on another feature uh, but then eventually you know on union I met some people and ended up getting some job you know better jobs through them later I was a cam off on a reality show and then this thing coming up um, later in the year that, that you're on Okay, so it was just sort of a organic process over time and just meeting people, getting a chance on one project and then not totally messing it up and then going on to the next one if one should arrive.
0: So when, when you were working as DIT on Union, um, if you don't mind me asking, were you using Silverstack?
1: Uh, no.
0: Okay. No. Gotcha.
1: And it was a pretty, it was really more data wrangling than anything. Okay. It was... Just you know, ingesting the footage from from the camera, and organizing everything, making sure there weren't any issues. Didn't really do any color grading.
0: Gotcha. So no, um, no, no live grade, no, uh, none of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was more like some more data wrangling than anything. But I got a VIP credit out of
0: it. Okay. Um. um so then you. Your focus, though, is, is still on, for the most part, camera operation?
1: Yeah, I mean, whenever like, I take one of these, and, and again, like I said, I, I'm kind of all over the place. I know, but I mean, like, s-
0: skill set, I guess, um, is more of what I'm asking. Yeah, yeah,
1: but whenever, I, whenever a job comes up, I always try to get into that department. I mean, you know, it doesn't always work out just because I, I feel like that's the best place to learn something.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. You know, like, uh, to go to this project later in the year, I'll be working under a DP that I could learn something from. So, you know, at the end of the project, I'll come out better than when I went in. Okay. Um, and that's gonna be more applicable to, you know, anytime I do a freelance job, like if I do a local commercial or something, I'm doing everything. Um, but, you know, having those, those technical skills or, you know, learning a lighting trick from somebody that kind of put in your toolbox or something like that
0: is a lot more valuable. OK. Now, I'm interested in seeing how this this uh, feature later in the year turns out. Um, there, there are some interesting situations going into it that could keep me from being able to work on it. I'm not completely sure yet, but I really would love to uh, work with the DP because I've interviewed him for my first episode of the podcast. It, it, you know, I can't say what the project is, but I can say that, you know, it involves Bill Swikert and that's yeah, he's he's a very interesting character.
1: Oh uh, yeah, yeah. It's, and I uh he was the D P on Union, um and I ended up working with him on the reality show that I was came up on and then again in New York last month. So no, Bill's a great guy and it's uh, always learn something you know, working around him. And there's other DPs around town, too, like David Brower uh, is another one. I worked with David Um, Brower
0: and David Bagley both, and both of them are really cool. I've
1: never met that second guy, but um, I actually, I I worked with David on a previous project from this this director (laughs) for this thing coming up, and just watching him, you know, light a room, and and he's a super great guy, and it's just impossible to not learn something Mm -hmm. when you're watching him work. So, but, yeah, him and, him and Bill are both are both great, so any chance that I get to work with them is always
0: something that I jump at. Slightly changing topic, but have you worked with Ben Greer before? He uh, he normally works in, in electrical. Uh,
1: did you say Ben Greer?
0: Yeah.
1: I have not, no.
0: Gotcha. Uh, he's probably, like, the other person I learned the most from on the project I worked with David Brower on, because he, he was... Spot on, and probably did more with the uh, the the lighting prep and camera setup than anybody else would have imagined. You know, a grip doing on their own. And you know,
1: and that's the thing too about Birmingham. There's a lot of talented people around, but we're just so fragmented and and clicky.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's kind of you know, it's I've been around Birmingham now for nearly ten years, and it's you know still. You know, Meeting and it's not a big place And I'm still meeting people that I've never met before That have been around for longer um, You know so uh, I'd like to see us I guess do a better job of, of interconnecting
0: Yeah I mean I'm in the Montgomery area to be honest with you I know Two other people who are in this area And I've tried to get Montgomery people on for interviews They are very defensive <laughs> To put it you know that way, um, and don't want to have anything to do with anyone else. It's there. There's. I feel like, for better or worse, overall in the state, there's this kind of idea that other people in video are the competition, and so you have to keep them at arm's length.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's such a, a a sad thing because there's a, a creative energy that comes from from having a big network,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you know, and I, you know, I don't want to speak for other people, but you know, I do. Obviously, the long term goal is to become a filmmaker, right? To direct movies. So, you know, I'll do shorts. And it's just, you know, at a certain point, it gets kind of hard to crew up because it's, you know, when you're in school, you have other students available that are, you know, interested in doing something. But a lot of times, the people that you went to school with end up quitting pretty quickly, which was the case with me. I mean, other than. I think two other people, I'm the only one that's still active under my whole class. Um, and then, you know, you go to crew up short, and it's, okay, I can't, for example, like sound, I like to use a two-person crew for that, because I, I don't like to split attention from the mixer, and, you know, trying to be a zoom up at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, you yeah, know, I feel like that's something that's so important. I want somebody totally dedicated to making sure that we're capturing as good a sound as we can get, but then it's like, you know, I find two people and, you know, it gets, it gets difficult. Um, and, you know, I so like there are a lot of resources, at least in the Birmingham area, that, that people aren't taking advantage of. Like, Sidewalk, for example, puts on a whole lot of monthly programming. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect time to get out and mingle with people, and it's free, you know, they're, they're monthly salons, you can just show up, and, uh, it, but it's, you know, it's usually, like, the same people every month, which are all really cool people, but I know there's a whole lot of people out there that aren't taking advantage of that resource, so that's such a cool thing, but, you know, anybody that listens to this, if you've never been to one... I think they're the first Tuesday of each month at Rojo right now. And I'm assuming they'll move to the theater once it opens. Just go to it. It's, you know, it's definitely a cool thing. It'll be really cool to have more people involved.
0: Yeah, so, like, I, I went to college in, in Tuscaloosa at UA, and I believe most of my classmates who are in the the TCF program are still doing video. It's just everybody's kind of spread out. There are a couple who are in Birmingham, but they're mostly involved in editorial content. Uh there are a couple who are doing like short films and one of them won a daytime Emmy. That I I want to interview her, but she's been very like quiet. Um but the m- most of my classmates went to LA. Like they they immediately jumped up as soon as they graduated, and moved to LA. And that seems to be where a lot of the success has come from for them. And it's just interesting to see people who stayed behind and and are trying to build something here in state rather than, you know, just up and moving to L.A. and saying there's no future here?
1: You know, my thing about L.A. and my plan for the longest time was to move to L.A. Uh, and, and I know some people that moved out there and are successful and working at a couple of studios out there. Um, but I also know a lot of people that moved out there and came back with horror stories of high rents or, end up working in new media with you know like editing YouTube videos basically which is like well you know I can do that here. Mm-hmm. I do that here actually and I don't have to pay you know fifteen hundred dollars a month in rent. Um and I get to shoes too and I get to work on features on T V shows. Um I, I, you know and I don't know, take this for what you will because I'm someone who has not lived in LA so maybe I'm totally wrong. But I just kind of feel like sometimes it's sort of like the grass is greener sort of thing for people around here. It,
0: um, it, it totally is, because of the people I know who went to L.A., two of them ended up homeless for a while.
1: And yeah, that's not fun.
0: It, it's a, L.A. is one of the hardest places to get out of if you don't have enough money.
1: <laughs> or you live in an apartment, a tiny apartment, with like 40 other people, you know, which is not the standard of living. But, I mean, maybe you can do that when you're 22, but I'm too old now to want to ever do that well, kind of thing, you know?
0: one of the people I know who became homeless, i have to try to get him on the show. He ended up living in a travel trailer in the middle of the desert with no electricity for about a year. Yeah,
1: it's, it, and for me, it's not worth it. And that does not help you get where you want to go. And I kind of feel like you have to kind of ask yourself, okay, what is it that I want to do? Okay, do I want to be a DP? Do I want to be a screenwriter? Do I want to be an actor? Do I want to be a producer? Do I want to be a director? Do I want to be a grip? Whatever it is. Because, you know, working on a movie doesn't necessarily equal working, toward your goal, if you know what I mean. Like,
2: -hmm.
1: if you want to be a director, you're not going to PA your way into being a director, right? You know, I had a producer who work hopefully out of Atlanta now, but she was working here, just kinda of give me some like really good advice about you know, about how to achieve that goal. You know, I was kind of peppering her with questions without like being really direct about like, hey, how do I do this? Um, and she basically just told me like, look, if you want to be a director, you have to put together your own project and direct it and do something commercially viable because even number one, nobody's gonna promote you to being a director and if you write this amazing script that somebody wants but you're some no-name person who's never directed a feature before, they're going to, you know, just want to buy your script from you and hire somebody else, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, Or suddenly get an idea that's really similar to what you pitch to. So, my line of thinking is that, you know, Birmingham's a pretty affordable place Um, that doesn't have a lot of the red tape, you know, as far as other places go. You know, there's no, you don't have to get a permit to shoot here. Um, It's pretty cheap. So this is kind of a great place for a first-time director to produce a film. Um, And that's something that long-term I want to take advantage of, but I feel like a lot of other people could, too. Mm -hmm. It's um, almost like I remember at Sidewalk a few years ago there was a documentary called Detropia and it was about Detroit being sort of a declining place a economically depressed place and it was one bit about these two guys that had moved there that were professional artists and you know doing a lot of like, performance art and a lot of just kind of my art sort of stuff like that and the uh, the filmmaker asked them like hey you know why are you here or well, you're in Detroit because the whole film is like all of this depressing stuff about industry leaving and you know crumbling buildings and all this sort of stuff but one of the guys We can afford to be professional artists. We can't do this in New York. It's too expensive. And I I feel like, in a way, Birmingham's similar. You know, you can afford to take chances here and put a show together. Um, You know, it's just, you got to do it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if I personally, if I moved to LA tomorrow, then all of a sudden it becomes about how am I going to be myself? How am I going to turn people like on? How am I not going to end up homeless? And you, you get all those distractions that take away. It's like there's no way I could do a feature out there ever. Just, you know, this is not
0: possible. I mean, even even the people who do studio work can't get features made in L.A. anymore just because of, like, the cost of, of permits. So you, that's one of the reasons why you're seeing, you know, Features coming to Atlanta And features coming here to like Birmingham sometimes Oh yeah and you also
1: have to like Keep in mind too It's like you're not gonna Like how eager are people in LA Gonna be to work with you
0: No because they're they're gonna see you As just more competition coming in You know more outsiders
1: And you're one of like a bajillion people With a script Or one of a bajillion people Who are an up and coming director
0: I've always felt that you know just from what I've seen in other people's lives, like everybody I know who's successful, they're not working in Hollywood. They're working on like, you know, YouTube or or something like that. Or they're doing like web videos or, you know, they they make viral videos for a living or some of them are doing music videos, but nobody's really working in Hollywood with the exception of a professor. But to get to Hollywood the way that this professor did and the way that the other people who, you know, I've seen from a distance, you know, make it there, you have to go somewhere small and then build yourself up.
1: And, and, I mean, and again, it also depends on what you want to do. Like, most of the people that I know that moved out there either came back, got out of the industry and do something else in California, um, work in new media, you know, YouTube videos. I know one guy who um, actually works in future sales that lives in L.A., but he works in production accounting. Hmm. kind of thing, and it's like, you know, that's... He works in production and you know and he's a totally you a great guy um you know i remember i met him at uad but it's like you know i mean i don't really want to work in that area so
2: not, not my cup of tea sort of thing
0: yeah And yeah well like but, sorry for interrupting go ahead oh
1: no no go ahead
0: because, like, the the most successful person I know, I'm just going to go ahead and, and say who it is, you know, had any issues with identity be damned. It's it's a professor that I had at UA named Rachel Ramos. She was teaching at UA for years. I think she was there for almost a decade, if not a decade, um, teaching there as, as a professor. And then eventually, through some very fascinating circumstances, got the offer to come to L.A. and work on Queen Sugar as the director for a couple episodes, and then that has launched into her doing features and, and becoming, like, an uh, ASC member, and it's it's been crazy to watch her career blow up. But her career didn't blow up because she moved to L.A. Her career blew up because she worked at the University of Alabama as a professor, you know, building herself up in a smaller market.
1: I mean, yeah, and it's you know, and it took her a long time to get there. It wasn't like an overnight kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I just remembered another name. I don't actually know this guy, but I, I have worked with people that didn't work with him when he was in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. But um, Adam Lindberg. Uh,
2: uh, I you uh, Your Next,
1: if you saw that. And I think he's doing an, a Godzilla movie now. Okay. Like, so is going really well for him. Well, he's from Birmingham. He used to do Scrambles here. Um, I know people that worked with him at the time. Okay. But the story, and then, you know, I mean, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but the story that I heard about him is that, you know, and I've seen, you know, I saw, I've seen some scrambles he did back in the day, obviously, you know, he was a very, very talented filmmaker, but, you know, he went out there, to LA, and kind of ran into the saw that everybody else runs into you when you go out there, I had to come back to Birmingham and start making features in Alabama then got noticed and went back to LA after doing that and of course then his career took off and he's you know being trusted with Blockbuster property you now
2: mm-hmm.
1: but uh all, you know all that's just to say that like there's a lot of opportunity here but you you kind of have to make it yourself and it's it, you know if you want to be a filmmaker why not go ahead and make the movie mm-hmm. you know, here you know There's a lot of talent here, and if you're, yeah, I mean, I I don't just, I guess I just don't see an argument for, like, why not, if that's something that you're you're planning to do, Um, you know, this is probably a better place than most, just from a practical
0: perspective. Mm -hmm. It's also got, like, surprisingly... A larger f- local film community than most places. I was in Maryland for about a year. And while there are filmmakers in Maryland, they don't work often. Not a lot of stuff gets made in Maryland. Um, so it, w- it was interesting to come back here and then be like, oh yeah, there's this whole thriving community in Birmingham that I never even knew about versus in Maryland, you know, cold calling people, trying to connect, do all the the Facebook and and Reddit thread, you know, browsing and and have maybe one or two projects come up and then they never even get past pre-production. Yeah, yeah, it's,
1: uh, you know, and I'm sure it's like that in a lot of other places. I mean, I only have, you know, anecdotal stories. I don't really have an experience living in another place. Um, But, you know, I have a guy that I know that moved to St. Louis. You know, there's just, like, nothing there, apparently. Mm. Um, so that's you know, the Birmingham's not perfect. It's not without its faults, but it's also it's a pretty good place. And plus, our proximity to Atlanta, you know, there's all kinds of resources to draw on there for your you know indie production here.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, for one thing, we're within driving distance of p c e So
1: yeah, I and mean, you can rent anything that you need. There's all kinds of talent out of Atlanta. Um, as far as if you need, you know, X crew member or Y crew member, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's all right there without the hassles of being in a bigger place
0: mm-hmm. and the cost. All right, are there any special topics you'd like to talk about before we finish?
1: Um. Uh. I mean, I don't know. Is there anything
0: on your mind? Um. I'm kind of curious about gear, if, if that's okay. Like your, your perspective on workflow, what you prefer using, what you don't like using that kind of thing. Uh, I know that like, it's a bit of a hot button issue because some people are like, Oh, the gear shouldn't matter. But as somebody who kind of got his start in this whole thing as a colorist, for me, gear is very important because that's most of what I worked with.
2: Uh, well, it's funny
1: you should ask because I'm actually shopping around for a camera right now. Um, and what I keep I, there's a lot of stuff to take into account for that mm-hmm. but it's just like every piece of gear that you look at there's something great about it but then it, it seems like there's always some huge thing missing like for example I was looking at C200 mm-hmm. and it's great but it doesn't shoot 10 bit which is you know mostly what I do most of the stuff that I shoot is going to end up online somewhere so I don't need You know, four K, and you know I don't want to shoot eight bit. Mm -hmm. So you know (laughs) you can get a an external recorder as a workaround, but you know it's kind of like I'm going to pay seven thousand dollars for a
2: camera. Why is it missing this thing that I feel like should be standard
1: now?
0: To be honest Um, with you, you, sorry. To be honest with you, one of the things that I've been seeing um, that fascinates me on the tech side for cameras is. Uh, like cheaper cameras coming out of China, of all places, that are basically matching the quality of Red, and in some cases they're they're like straight up Alexa clones. Like there's two main Chinese companies that produce really good cameras, and you can get both from B and H. Uh, I would suggest you check them out. The first one is the Affinity Terra. Uh, it's a 4K camera, but it also does uh, 1080p, 12 bit. You can do RAW or ProRes, and it's 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 a red clone. Everything down to the color science is, is a red clone. You can just take, you know, tools, LUTs, whatever, for red log film, slap it on the footage, and it works just fine. The second one is the uh, Z Cam E2. It's like a $2,000 micro four-thirds camera with 16 stops dynamic range, and it's 10-bit uh, 422.
2: That's um... <laughs> Uh,
1: definitely taking advantage of, uh, ripping off the intellectual property.
0: Yep. But I mean, but, uh, at this level, I feel like there's no brand loyalty, so.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's basically what I'm looking for is something that will do what I need it to do on this level for a price point. Another thing about the Canon was like, you know, the kind of jobs that I'm getting, aren't the kind of jobs that are gonna pay for almost 10 grand camera, mm-hmm. you know, so, um like a lot of like random local videos and did like different like political spots last year and it wasn't they weren't paying for uh you know that level of gear so yeah i it's feel really for me to invest in it at this
0: point i feel like in in alabama there's there's basically two markets they're the people who have you know reds and aries that do a lot of rental um and and a lot of like, you know, work for hire, owner-operator stuff And then you have everybody shooting on DSLRs And there's very little in between
1: Yeah And yeah, then I'm also kind of tired of shooting on DSLRs Or uh, or little
2: mirrorless systems mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's just economically Kind of figuring out where you
1: sit in And making that investment Um which is why, you know, I'm kind of looking at the, uh, the Blackmagic pocket.
0: I've got, um, I've got the pocket. It's, I
1: mean, it's Micro 430, but I was looking at low-light tests for it the other day, and it was, like, you know, honestly kind of matching
0: an H7S, really. Well, um, the, one the, one the native on it is 3200, uh, just like how Sorry. the I said the native ISO on it is 3200, just like how the native on Sony is 2000. So this is actually yeah. a little bit better than most Sony cameras in low light. Uh, the downside to it, though, is the dynamic range. It clips pretty hard at about ten stops.
1: And the battery life, which is, you know, a lot of the stuff that I'll do will do with really long interviews.
0: If you slap stops. if you slap a V-mount on it and then you, you run D-Tap to uh, Wipo, it'll, it'll be fine.
1: Well, that's an extra cost though for the V-mount, too. Yeah. But that's black magic.
0: Um, I still say you should check out ZCam. It's it's about the same price as the Black Magic, and to be honest with you, like I wish I'd got that instead. I'm sending you some uh sample footage from it. I got to play around with one, um, about two months ago, and it is sweet. Yeah, yeah, definitely
2: turn that over.
1: I'd love to kind of check it out, but I'm like I said, I've been just sort of like really hesitant to pull the trigger on buying something. Um, everything is, is so expensive. Um, I was actually, when I was in New York last month, I stopped in the B&H and was just walking around, looking at all of the stuff I want to buy that I don't have any money for.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, just the lighting department
0: was, I was like, oh my God. Uh, no, I know. Like, I, I had an airy kit where one of the Fresnels busted and ever since then I'm, I'm down one light and I just can't bring myself to buy it. So I understand like, lighting stuff is expensive.
1: I mean, it all is, but, I mean, yeah, if I won the lottery, that's just what I would, just go there and buy everything.
0: <laughs> all right. Um, that's about all I can think of.
1: Awesome. Well, um, thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, thank you for coming on. Like, it's always cool to, to talk to people and, and learn more about what's going on in the state.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I hope to get the chance to
0: work with you, Shane. Yeah, I hope so, too. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Awesome. Thanks.
0: All right. And that concludes episode uh, six, I do believe. Um, There's going to be a short hiatus after this, along with a two-part episode where I interview someone who is not from the state of Alabama, but they are directly related to some of the things that are going on here, particularly what's going on in Tuscaloosa. Um, That'll be interesting to see people's reaction.